Welcome into the Think Deeper podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Will Harib, joined by Joe and Jack Wilkie. We have got a follow-up Q&A episode on tap for today. We had our Q&A episode at the end of the year last year, and we got so many really good questions that we just couldn't get to that we decided, hey, let's do another one. Let's answer some more of the questions from our deep thinkers. So that's what we've got lined up for today. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, We want to go back and and talk about something that we introed, I think, two episodes ago, maybe three episodes ago, something like that. But uh, we are launching... something that we're calling just the Think Deeper Seminar. If your congregation uh, or if you, maybe you're an elder listening or maybe you want to go to your elders, if you're interested in having us three guys or any any portion of us three guys out to your congregation to talk about some of the things that we've discussed on our podcast, we have a seminar specifically designed for that. Uh, We've got a year's worth now of, of 50 plus topics that we've covered, a lot of them about cultural topics, a lot of them about things that uh, we think the church uh, really needs to look further into. Uh, And so if if it's something like you're thinking, hey, podcast is great, but would love to have an in-person maybe question and answer panel, an in-person, again, just a seminar, whether it be a one-day seminar or a weekend seminar, that's something that the three of us are willing to do. And so if that's something that you'd like more information on, uh, message us on Facebook, the Think Deeper podcast page. You can message Jack. Uh, you can email Jack, jack at focuspress.org. Uh, again, that's something that if you just want more information on, let us know. Uh, we'd love to come out and do, again, question and answer panels, seminars, anything like that. Uh, so that is all I'm going to say about that, the Think Deeper seminars. We also wanted to provide an update on our Think Deeper map, where we are trying to get a grasp on how many states are represented by deep thinkers, by Think Deeper listeners. Jack, I'm actually going to hand it to you for that update. I think we're over 30 states. Is that right? Yeah, I believe we're 31. I might have missed one. I need to go back and, and check the comments. Uh, we we kind of got comments on multiple Facebook pages, on YouTube and all that. So, so gathering them all is... Uh, a bit of a challenge at times, but uh, we got 31 states, and again, the one in Canada, I believe we mentioned last time, and so uh, more than halfway there. We need the Northeast and the Southwest badly. Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, I know you're out there. Help us out. Uh, the Northeast, all those, I know it's, uh, it's... All those Patriots and Celtics fans don't listen to us, apparently. That's true, yeah. <laughs> up, uh, which I know there's not a whole lot of uh, Christians, not a lot of uh, members of the church up there in uh, the Northeast, but hey, if you're there, we need uh, we need to hear from you. Let us know you're listening. Again, YouTube comments, uh, Facebook, let us know. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of a fun thing we're doing, but it's very cool to see 31 different states represented so far. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to go ahead and get us in. We've we got a lot of questions. I think eight topics slash eight questions that we want to get to today. So I'm going to get us right in because this first one that we have, guys, it's a loaded one. Uh, there, there are a lot of elements, aspects to this question uh, that one of our listeners submitted, and we want to hit every single one of them. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read kind of the general question, and then I'm going to read the other questions, but I'm going to try to we're going to try to answer this question in the stages of the way they ask the question. So kind of the overall question is, how do we feel about modernizing the church? How do we feel about modernizing the church? And then they went on to say, uh, obviously we adapt our lives with the times, but what about when this creeps into the church service? And then uh, the listener asked several follow-up questions specifically about modernizing the church. Things like, is online offering okay? Uh, is including women in onstage singing but in the background behind a male song leader okay? Is keeping your children out of the entire service to play in the nursery okay? 
Uh, and then finally, why are our church clothes and weekly clothes so different? So basically, all these questions center around modernizing the church. So guys, here's what I want to do, because we've got prepared answers for each one of those that I just went over. But I want us to start with this question, the, the overall question. How do we feel about modernizing the church? So I'm going to give my answer, then I want to let you guys comment if you have anything to, to add to it, and then we'll get to the, the individual aspects, the, the other elements of the question itself. Uh, but the, the first question, how do we feel about modernizing the church? I think at the very base level, you have to define what do you mean by modernizing? Because you think about it, if you have an AC unit in your building, you you technically have, have modernized your church building, right? Same thing with PowerPoint, microphones, church Wi-Fi, all of those are examples of church modernization. But when you think about it, really, to me, to me, if I'm answering this question, there's nothing wrong with modernizing the church as long as you are not compromising Scripture in order to do so. And this is one of those things where we always have to distinguish for a church practice, for a specific way that we do things in a congregation. Do we Are we doing it because of tradition? Or are we doing it because of Scripture? And then, to me, that's got to be the the deciding factor. Things like pews as opposed to chairs. Are those things scriptural or are those things traditional? To me, pretty obvious that's traditional. Same thing with times of service. Do we meet at 9? Do we meet at 10 o'clock? Um, th- those are traditional issues, whereas are, are we fundamentally changing the elements of worship uh, itself, or are we changing who is leading the worship? Are we changing what day the worship is being held on? To me, those things are not traditional. Those, those are questions of scriptural importance, examples where we get into compromising scripture. And really, you can sum it up with, in defense of a particular practice, do you defend it by saying, well, this, we, this is just because we've always done it that way? Or you defend it by saying, well, because this, this is the way we believe the New Testament authorizes. If you're defending pews in your church building, you're probably not saying that the, the New Testament only authorizes pews. So do you see the difference there? So at the very base level, before we get into all these different elements, modernizing the church, if you're not compromising Scripture to do so, what is the objection? I guess that's that's the question I will ask you guys, because personally I don't have one. What do you guys have to add? Yeah, not much I'd say to that. I think you're spot on that it's really about the heart behind it. There's biblical principles as well. Well, the Bible doesn't specifically authorize. Yeah, but the principles there. And and. I want to get into specifically, I think, Will, that's what you're getting into, is some of these specific ones. The one that comes to mind is our church clothes. Well, hold on, hold on. I didn't I didn't get an answer okay, there. Okay, sorry. I think you're both right about the principle thing. On the other hand, people who have been through change and, and seen churches evolve over time, there is a, a principle sometimes where they can do something that isn't wrong in itself. It's, there's no biblical principle against it. There's no command against it, certainly. But... The feel, the maybe the motive behind it. And there was a church we went to when I was a kid. I think I've talked about before, and our family ended up moving on. And there were some of the things they did where I, you couldn't give a book, chapter, verse. You couldn't even give a biblical principle, other than the principle of kind of just asking the question why we're doing this. And it was well, you know, we think people, you know, outsiders might essentially might think we're cooler if we do this. I mean, they didn't say it that way, but you know, and and the motive was thinking man what what would look cooler to the outside world what would you know be more appealing on that kind of the marketing sense they started approaching church for marketing sense and that in itself wasn't wrong but that was the premonition for something that they started compromising doctrine later on you can say well they weren't wrong until they compromised doctrine that's true it's but going I down think, the rabbit you know in things like some of the things that the person is going to get to in these specifics we're talking about 
but then you've got the people that say, well, any innovation, man, we brought a microphone into the building, we're going liberal. It's hard. There very much is a feel thing to this that I think uh, well, I'm, very I'm not helping here as well. by saying it. Yeah, subjective, exactly. <laughs> thanks, thanks for clouding but, it up there, Jack. I know. I, I do, no, I do think there are <laughs> there are certain people that want to change things just for the sake of change. And I don't know that that's necessarily the best thing either. But again, you talk about modernizing. I'm a fan of PowerPoint. I think being able to hear in church buildings and a big... Uh, I think that's a good thing to have a microphone system that does that. Uh, but Joe, well, were you going to get into? Go ahead. I'm going to interrupt Joe again. Uh, so G.K. Chesterton's gate fence, however you want to classify it, I think is a really valuable principle where he says, "Don't tear a fence down until you know why the person put it up." And so, change sure. for the sake of change can can be a bad idea. But if okay, you know, why didn't we use microphones? Because we didn't have that available to us. Okay, well then it's a good. There's no good reason not to do it. Okay, why didn't we do? some of these things that we're going to talk about. Why didn't we do children's church? Why didn't we do, well, there might be something a little more to that. So go ahead. I'll I'll let you finally get to it. Well, yeah, yeah, because it's, again, people are afraid of going down the rabbit hole. That's what a lot of these are going to come to is, is this, we don't get to the big changes without the small changes. So when people see small changes, they go, hold on a second, big changes coming. Not necessarily. So let's look at a few individually. Um, The first one is, is online offering okay? Let's say they got a Venmo, PayPal, um, something that you can donate to online. Direct deposit. Direct deposit. I've heard of churches you can set up a direct deposit. Right. So instead of physically grabbing the checkbook, the cash out of your wallet, whatever it is, I'll just make it a credit card payment. Um, Is online offering okay? I have my thoughts, but gentlemen, I'll open it up to you first. So... I, I think this is a hot question because of the question of whether or not contribution is an act of worship. And let me explain what I mean, because that's, to me, the way that it breaks down. If you are somebody that says, okay, contribution is an act of worship, then I would imagine you're going to say that online offering is wrong, because to you, you're basically removing an act of worship, a physical act of worship, and, and, and taking it online, if that makes sense. And so, again, for the person that says contribution is an act of worship— that then online offering isn't okay because you're, you're taking that act of worship out of the worship service. Now, there's also a portion of the people that would say, if you do it on Sunday still, then it's fine. It doesn't have to be in the 9 to 10 worship hour. But if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily believe that contribution is one of the quote-unquote five acts of worship, then, again, you would say that it does not have to be done in the 10 to 11 worship hour, so there's nothing wrong with online giving. To me, I fall on the side of... I don't really think contribution is an act of worship. I don't think there's any difference in you setting up a direct deposit for you to give your set amount on Sunday versus dropping a 20 in the plate. To me, I, I don't see a difference there. But, Joe, you you obviously have some thoughts. So why don't you go, and then we'll let Jack get in. Well, I want to hear what Jack says, and then I'll, I'll come. What do you... <laughs> oh, okay. He wants to he wants to go last. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't have a problem with it, and even if you don't give on Sunday or whatever, because so much of our, our principle for this gets mis- interpreted where Paul was talking about laying by in store and on the first day of the week and all that. In fact, I heard somebody in recent months say, you know, we're, we're taking up collection so that no collections be made when, when, when he comes back. No, it's not when Jesus comes. It was when Paul right. was coming. When Paul was coming through, he was going to collect for the saints in Jerusalem who were starving and, and they were contributing. It was this great thing. He said, set aside weekly and then for a specific time right yeah and and that doesn't mean okay the collection stops after that because there's so much work that does need to happen but there's no no point that it needs to happen on sunday i mean you can 
you can give to your church anytime. You can send your check in. I mean, over uh, COVID, you know, when buildings were shut, people were sending checks in. Oh, sure. What if you picked it up on Monday? I mean, like, you can't send it on Sunday because, the, the, like, it, that's not the point. And so online offering, I don't have a problem with it. And you go back to that principle I, I just brought up of why are we changing something that's old? Is it because it was broken? Is it because, or, or just for the sake of change? No, it's just a convenience. You're doing the same thing you've always done, just maybe in a more convenient way. And when you think about the widow's might, the Matthew 6, the Pharisees giving and making sure everyone know they give. That's how they gave. At the temple, they had the boxes or the synagogue right. or whatever, wherever they were bringing their money. And they would go, and there was a place that you could discreetly walk up, put in what you were going to put in. It wasn't a basket passed or whatever. And there's reason to believe the early church did that too. And so it, it's taken different forms. I mean, we've changed it in the basket passing. That was not the original way it was done. And so it's okay, I think. I would agree with you, actually. I'd, I'd agree with both of you, but the there's a guy at church, Bob, um, great brother, but he's against it, very against it, because we had this conversation, and he said his his contention, and I do understand, is you're not as intentional. When you do it online, and it's like a bank draft that just comes out all the time, well, yeah, it's like my Audible subscription. Well, it's like everything else. Like, there's nothing intentional about it. I'm physically deciding what I'm giving to God, I'm actively thinking about it and I'm putting it in the plate and it like it, it, there's like it costs me something almost even though it is the same principle I understand where he's coming from if we're going to give to God it ought to be something we've thought out it ought to be something that is very intentional when we go to give at the same time I think you can still do it online I would say I would argue I can do that just right. as well doing because it online versus dropping a check No I, I mean I could like on a principle I'm not going to say it's wrong but I would I would not set up direct deposit just for that sense you know so that I would have to consciously go in and give right. it so I'm thinking right. about it But Venmo um, you consciously but, uh, I mean you can you can extrapolate this the other direction and go a lot of people still give by check well a check you're not seeing it come out of your account so you should do it by cash and cash is the only way to do it and so you have to be careful with, with I, these I keep kinds a book of, a book of checks in my car right now specifically for I don't same use same for me just use it for right. same for me and when I run out yeah. it's like oh man I, I don't really want to have to go to the bank because I don't use this for anything else so yeah I I'm I think that's great but let's get to the next one is including women in on stage singing but in the background behind a male song leader okay now no church I go to has a choir in the back um, I don't know if that's something that is assumed in this question that there is a choir toward the back of it but will what were you gonna say I was just going to say, I, I think we need to not spend a ton of time on this one because to me it's pretty obvious. I don't think this is okay at all. Um, regardless of who the song leader is, simply by putting a woman on stage, you're placing them in a position of authority. Whether you want to admit that or not, common sense tells you you're putting a, up a, a woman up in front of the on stage – that, that's giving them authority no matter who is technically in front or leading the song or not. My brother also brought up, I was discussing it with him, uh, with my brother Reese. He said he visited a congregation, and I've, I've heard of this as well, where they, they would hand they would uh, wire people up with microphones in the audience, specific people that quote-unquote sounded good um, to make the singing better. Not a big fan of that either. Uh, once again, I know that's not what the question asked, but anytime you're getting closer and closer to that line of authority and again somebody won't say well she's not the song leader is she up on stage does she have a louder voice than somebody else sorry that that's giving somebody a position of authority whether you want to call it that or not i think the the principle you're getting at here with this question about a woman on stage or whatever or women or different people mic'd in the audience it, we have to be very careful not to turn worship into a performance because that is not the point uh okay the next one was is keeping your children out of the entire service to play in the nursery okay no 
I, I mean, I am very anti-children's church. Uh, children learning the Bible is great. Their parents need to be the first people doing that. The church should be supporting that for sure. There's no precedent of the idea of the church being age divided when we come together to worship. And if your kids are there, you're sending them the message that this isn't for you. And it's not, you know, like that, that it's life revolves around you. We're going to give you your own thing. No, it's teaching them life doesn't revolve around you. You're going to sit in here and no, this isn't for you. You don't get to take the Lord's Supper, but you're going to be respectful. You know, my two-year-old, he doesn't listen to a sermon real well. That's okay, but he needs to know you're going to sit here with mommy and daddy. When we pray, you're going to bow your head and you're going to say, amen. If you know a song, you're going to sing it. They start learning very early. And you go back to the Old Testament, God would gather everybody for the festivals, the holidays, the readings of the law. And the youngest they didn't have a they didn't have a nursery long. section on Mount Sinai. <laughs> no, and it was all day long. Some of these things, and so no, I, I we Here, real quick, I, I think though. we're unanimously that no on that one. Here's another question though, because I agree, of course. Sending your three year old to play with Tonka trucks during worship not a great idea. What about the 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 mother who's got a six months old six month old who's screaming? You okay with her taking her to the quote unquote nursery so that she's not disrupting? Oh, worship? absolutely. Is there a line there? Is a difference I, there? Okay, so you see I think a once once the kid calms down, I think bringing her back into the assembly. I think it's it. In my opinion, what I think of when I hear this question is the mom who bunkers down in the nursery and doesn't ever come out and really with right with her toddler and never really participates in worship. It's different when well, then they say, well, what about the kid who's disrupting worship because he's not under control? Get him under control, uh, like. You're, you're the parent. Work on it at home. Well, and that's uh, that's the point of this is this gives you the opportunity to teach them that you're not going to have if you right. send them out. Sit still. And so, like, yeah, and like you, you do have to do the teaching. That's the hard part. I'm going to say this as well because this came up in a group chat with uh, some, some buddies. We need to stop asking church women to volunteer to leave worship away from everybody else and miss the sermon, miss everything to go teach a class. And ask them, hey, instead, can we have you go sit with that young family? Just give them an extra hand. Just do that. And you know what? Even if the church doesn't ask you, volunteer to do that. You see that mom over there? Don't give her an ugly look because her kid's acting up. Go sit by her and say, how can I help you? We need so much more of that. And we are so blessed to have that with our, our congregation. Uh, I was blessed to have it back in Forney. It makes all the difference in the world. And it teaches the kids, hey, we're all in this together. They're, you're part of this as well. And so um, we don't want to belabor that one too much longer. Uh, the next one, uh, Will... Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. Church, Church clothes, clothes was the versus yep. dress clothes, casual clothes, whatever else. That is a modernization thing, and and it you can see this changing culturally and church wise over the years. So well, it says say? why are church clothes and weekly clothes so different? Is the specific question. Just so everybody's aware. Will, what, what are your thoughts? And I, I would, Im- I would imagine the question is asking can we modernize our clothes? Like, like the, the traditional would be the suit and tie look, right? Uh, you know, getting real dressed up as opposed to maybe more casual. Personally, I do think there is value in having clothes that are different and specifically set aside for Sunday. And that's for several reasons. Number one, to me, it communicates to God that we're taking this seriously. This isn't just some social club hangout. This isn't just some get together where we can come wear our joggers and our khaki shorts. You know, we're here to worship. So it communicates seriousness. And I think if you're raising kids, you need to, I wasn't allowed to wear shorts anywhere to any worship. Wednesday night, Devo didn't matter. I, I was not allowed to wear shorts. Because I was, my parents wanted me to understand that, no, this is, again, this is different than just a, a Saturday night get-together. This is something that's important. You're here to worship. And then the other thing, it communicates to God that we want to give uh, give him our best. And, you know, we can get into a debate about, well, what does giving our best mean? But I think ultimately this is one where we can use common sense on. Are you purposely dressing down for comfort or convenience for worship? It's probably a hard issue. But what do you guys well, have to Well, this is add? exactly to our point and why we set the principles at the beginning. 
can I specifically point to book, chapter, and verse and say, this is what it is? No, I can't. But the principle you just laid out of we bring our best to God matters. Now, Francis Chan, and there's a few other voices that say, well, why would I dress any different than I do for the rest of the week? Because I don't want to project to be something I'm not. And I can kind of understand where he's coming from, that if I'm not going to dress this way, why would I come and try to make a show of things, kind of taking First Timothy 2, out of context, in my opinion, but about dressing up and really showing off. But a, I get that. A lot of people do dress that way. The suit. I mean, they, they wear that yeah. for work, or they wear That's that for, true. again, the serious events And in I think there's a, there's a pendulum swing between you're showing off, you're showing up with your Armani suit, and, you know, you're hair perfectly quaffed and everything. There's one thing about looking great, but then going above and beyond to make sure that everybody knows either how rich you are or whatever it may be. And that's what's addressed in First Timothy 2. You can swing to the other side and show up in your, um, you know, America t-shirt and your jeans and think that that's okay. We have to find the balance in the middle, which is I am showing up, giving my best to God, not to man, but to God. And if I'm that's a personal thing of what do I think is my best. There are different congregations. Mountain congregations, their best may be a bolo tie and a plaid shirt. Um, you go somewhere else and it may be, again, a super nice suit. Different cultures have different understandings of what best is, but the principle still applies. What are you giving to God when you show up and how serious are you taking it? So the other thing is, I mean, we're I, I've talked before about the C.S. Lewis you know, fire extinguisher thing. I, I bring that up all the time now that... We're always running around with fire extinguishers when it's flooding because it's so accurate and and we're so worried about, oh man, we're going to overdress and we're going to make people uncomfortable. No, we are the most casual underdressed society ever. Look back at pictures from 20 years ago even. I mean, people don't dress up for anything now and so our danger is not in being too stuffy and overdressed, probably the other direction. And you look at the Old Testament and hey, you're coming to Sinai before God, three days, get clean, get yourself ready, you know, wash up, like get ready for this because you're going to stand before God. And that same mindset would have gone forward with the apostles into the early church. They were Jewish people. They, they had these traditions of washings and things like that. Of You take it seriously when you're coming into the presence of God. And so I think that should be part of it. Um, that doesn't mean you have to wear a suit and tie to church. But people always say, well, it's going to make guests uncomfortable. And, and, you know, we don't want people coming. No, actually, I think... We've talked before about Sunday is not for evangelism. I think the more that we can do to make people walk in and go, oh, wow, there is a, a bar that's raised here that's different than the rest of the world, that who I am Monday through Saturday and, and what these people are doing in here are two very different things. I just stepped into a different world. I'm all in favor of that. Not I want you to be just comfortably casual, slip in in your pajamas. We're not doing that. This is important. And so I'm going to, we'll wrap on that one right there. Well, real um, quick, I'm so sorry. I got one other thing that I wanted to bring up because I want to bring it back around to this original question of how do we feel about modernizing the church? You know, what's another really prominent example of this is live stream. And this wasn't specifically asked about, but to me, live stream is an example of something. And Jack, you were hitting on this early. Is it wrong in and of itself? No, if you're utilizing it as a resource, like for shut-ins or for a way for, to me, the best use of it is, hey, I want to go back and listen to that sermon because it really good points, or I want to go back and maybe, again, just re-listen and take notes. I think that's a great use for it. That's not what it's used for, mainly, by, by Christians. It's used basically as a substitute for Christians assembling together. And so to me, just real quick, because I wanted to, I would feel remiss if I didn't bring it up, that this would be an example, live stream that is, of you've kind of crossed into the region of compromising scripture here. Not not by, you know, having the live stream itself, but by allowing your members of your congregation to use that as, again, a substitute for assembling together. 
that's one of those examples where I would say, yeah, modernization in that instance is probably not a good thing. Now, coming back to the very point of the question, because as, as the person's asking, is this something you walk into a church that has children's worship? You walk into a church that has um, a live stream. Is this something that's worth moving on to the next church? I think that's really the nature of the question is, okay, we can see the things that are wrong, the things that maybe aren't aren't wrong. Um is it worth drawing lines of fellowship or saying, I'm moving to the next one? What are your guys' thoughts on that? I, in general, am not very pro-leaving church, uh, moving on to another church. Uh, I mean, obviously, I just moved multi-state, but I'm talking about like going to the one down the road or whatever. But if you're if you're tied down somewhere, if you're committed somewhere, because when you look in the New Testament, there were churches that were just disasters. I mean, look at Corinth, look at some of the ones in Revelation. At no point is the counsel to them, all right, move on, go start your own church, break away, or whatever else. It's stay faithful. Even if the ones around you aren't, you stay clean, you stay pure, you stay on the straight and narrow. And so, I mean, there's a lot of churches where people feel like they're not getting fed. I understand that. You're going to have to supplement at home. You're going to have to, you know, hopefully listening to podcasts and things like this are, are a benefit in that direction. Um there's there's a lot of reasons there's thing man they're doing things i don't agree with that's okay and it's don't be the constant thorn in your elder's side but on the other hand it's okay from time to time to say well where's our biblical backing for this what what are we doing here and and try and nudge them in the right direction but i i think leaving is very much a nuclear option the only pushback i would give on that is i think there are some instances where you can look at your eldership and go these guys are not shepherding in not necessarily a way that you agree with but a, a biblical fashion I, I think you, I think you, especially as as a male leader of the family, I think you have the right to make that call again. And it's it's not just a matter of well, I would do things this way, and they're doing it that way. I, I think it needs to go beyond that. That you need to say no. I, th- these shepherds are not shepherding biblically. I think you are, to me, allowed to make that call. But that's just a slight pushback. And after that's after you've exhausted all the options. Oh of, yeah, you've gone to the you've gone to the elders. You've talked to them. You've talked to the preacher. You've done everything to try to say. Let's study this. I think the easiest thing to do is go, well, we don't like it. Let's move. No, stick around. Study it with people. If their hearts are are rocks and they're just not budging on any of these things despite clear biblical principles and such, um, that's not a good look. That's not good. And maybe that's when you consider. But I wanted to jump to my next question. Aside from the eldership, would it be okay to serve more than one congregation? And I think this dovetails well with this last question that we got, which was a series of questions, but uh, is it okay to serve more than one congregation? Obviously, if you're an elder, yeah, you got to stick with yours. And my thoughts on it, I'm assuming we're talking about a member who is part of one and kind of part of another and is trying to serve both congregations to the best of their ability. They have friends in this one and friends in that one. So what are our thoughts on that? I'm going to go first and then pass it off to you guys. My thoughts, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm really not a big fan of it. I'm, I'm, a much bigger fan of serving one local congregation and really digging into that congregation, getting to know. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean we can't have friends in other congregations. Like, I mean, we knew most we knew people at almost every church in Denver. We have friends in most of them. But you know what? We were members. My parents are members at Miller Street. Like, okay, that's great to go visit around on a Sunday night or whatever. That's different than hey, sometimes at Miller Street and sometimes at, I'm at Bear Valley. Sometimes I'm in a different one. That, to me, breaks all of the one another commands because if somebody's going to come to you and it's like, man, I'm really needing to tell Joe on tomorrow, I'm going to have to talk to him about this, and they show up and, oh, yeah, it's, I guess it's not his Sunday here. He's in another congregation. No. 
well, I really need Joe to help hold me accountable or pray for me. Yeah, but Joe's not here most of the time because he's he's busy with, with his other congregation. It breaks one another commands where you're not able to dig in and care for the people in that to the to the same ability as everybody who's solidly there. And it gives the impression or can give the impression that either you're not happy with the congregation completely or you can spread yourself so thin that you never you end up doing a lot of physical things with the congregation but you're not actually spiritually growing with the people that are put in your life. What are your guys' thoughts on that? And just so our audience knows, we have moved on to another. This is not part of the modernizing modernizing the church question. We we only spent twenty five minutes on correct, that one, so correct. we're on to the next one. Uh, <laughs> Joe, I think that's a, a a good answer, a good take for that. The only other thing that I would add, because I agree with you, is that not to go back to elders again, but it, I think it makes your shepherd's job more difficult uh, because you know I I think we have local congregations for a reason. Yes, you're still the church globally and, and nationwide and. You know, the church is, is not one place. However, what's the purpose of having elders? What's the purpose of having shepherds? It's so they can keep watch over their flock. And if they're going, if they're sitting in their elders meeting going, well, I don't really know if this person's a member of my flock because they're only here 50% of the time. And then, then, then they're somewhere else. And so am I really responsible for going to them? What if church discipline needs to come up? Is that my job or is that the elder's job at the other congregation they attend? So to me, it kind of complicates matters in that direction as well. Uh, Jack, what do you have to add? You can't be fully plugged in if you're just back and forth at one place and the other each time. So uh, that's not add much to what you guys said. So let's move on. Will, you've got a question here about First uh, Thessalonians 4. We're going to go to that one next uh, about kind of w- practical picture of what a biblical idea means. Sure. So I'm going to read First Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. The question is really here about verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. And so the question that was submitted was, Basically, what is the breakdown slash commentary on what you believe this type of life would look like? Uh, the deep thinker who submitted this question also added First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, uh, as, a, as a reference that, that kind of says basically the same thing. Um, to me, this is one of those that you can really get a clear picture of what Paul is going for by ju- turning the page, turning one page to Second Thessalonians 3, and reading what I would consider to be the antithesis of this life that Paul is describing. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, um, he talks about, let me get there. I'll start in verse 6. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Uh, f- and then he goes on to talk about... Uh, basically working. He says, verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. And so to me, you get this pretty clear picture of two different types of life. One where this person is making an honest living, is working for their family, not really in other people's affairs. And this other life where this, where these individuals were pretty much not working at all. Uh, they were clearly in other people's affairs, being busybodies. And then busybodies is one of those words that Paul uses a lot and, and chastises multiple times. 
And so to me, this is, this is describing the antithesis of the life of someone who chooses not to work, someone who chooses to spend their time meddling in other people's affairs. First Peter 4, 15 would be another place to go. Uh, and so that's my short answer is that if you want to know what type of life Paul is talking about, jump to Second Thessalonians 3 and look at – that's the opposite. This is what you're not supposed to do. And so that would be my answer. What do you guys have to add? I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction. I agree with everything you said, but I think there's an important piece here that – it's okay to live a normal life. I think, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there were books like Radical by David Platt and some of the Francis Chan stuff. Joe mentioned him earlier uh, that, that had a lot of influence on Christianity in general of, man, you got to do something radical. You got to go on mission trips. You got to do, you know, this, all this really sacrificial stuff and sell all your yeah, possessions. Live in the smallest house possible. And uh, all, all of these things that that was kind of how you, you showed you're a serious mission minded, heaven minded Christian. And there's such normalcy to these texts, you know, and the first Timothy two one is about politics. If you're just praying that the leadership lets us mind our own business, go about our life as Christians and tell people about the gospel, that's it. We just, you know, live a simple life, a simple, virtuous, holy life before God as a part of your church, as a part of your community, as a member of your workplace, do what you're supposed to do. And that's okay. It, you don't need to be guilted into that's not enough. Just go about your business as a Christian, work hard. Live a normal life. Very Ecclesiastes-minded, in a sense. I don't know that I have anything specifically else to add to that. I think I'm reading it now and just looking at the at the um, context even more of going up. And yeah, it comes down to work hard, provide for others, because right in that is how do you your love of the brethren. How do you take care of the brethren, right? And he says in verse 9, Now is the love of the brethren, as you read, Will. You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren. So how is this connected? How is verse 11 connected to the idea of loving one another? You take care of your own. You take care of yourself. You are not busy bodies, as you said, Will. And you're not gossiping about other people and everybody else's business. You are making it your ambition to lead a quiet life to live a normal life, attend to your business, right, to to your work and make sure you're working unto the Lord, work with your hands, work hard just as we commanded you so that you behave properly toward outsiders, not be in any need. What's going on for those in Thessalon- uh, Thessalonica, they're so concerned about the Lord coming back that they basically stopped working. And he's saying, make sure that you work. Make sure that you're working hard, that you're providing for other people, and that you don't be in need. I not to get into this, but there is an aspect of the welfare state that you can get into on making sure you are working hard and that you're leading that quiet life, not leading others into, you know, causing others to have to to pick up your slack, all that stuff. That's part of you loving the brethren uh, the way that you're supposed to. So that's the only thing that I would add to that. I Will, I think you answered that well. Let's go ahead and get into, yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and get okay. into, uh, ah, boy, my turn yeah, to... go for it, Jack. Yes, go for it. The main event. Here we go. I don't know if it's the oh, main it's... event, but it's uh, it's one of those on the episode title that it's I'm sure the main caught event. some uh, attention. Uh, an interesting one. I once worked outside the home as a nurse, but after having children, decided to stay home. The more I study and observe, I believe this is the best way to raise a godly family. Are we to take Titus 2 verse 5 literally? That's where the older women are taught to, uh, are, are commanded to teach the younger women, love your husbands, love your children, be keepers of the home. Um... Is it sinful for Christian women to work outside the home when they have children? I know this can be a hot-button issue, but I'm truly curious to hear your take on this. Uh, let's start with a few things, because immediately somebody listening, multiple people listening, went, Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31, she worked outside the home. Okay, hold on, we'll get there. 
Let's start in Titus 2, verse 5. And in Titus 2, verse 5, and in 1 Timothy 5, verse 14, they are taught, keep the home, uh, that you are the manager of the home, the ruler of the home. That's what those words mean. That's a job. That is a an occupation. First uh, Timothy two fifteen, where it talks about women preserved through childbearing. Like this is your role. This is your part, not only in the home but in God's grand plan. Is this submissive role? Is this supporting role? And that's a good thing. And and not only that, it's clearly a normative position that we should be pushing and teaching. That every Christian couple, even if you can't do this, we'll get to those that say, well, I can't. You should be aiming for this. This should be a goal for the husband to provide for the wife to stay home. And you know what's going on as well is there's a million whatabouts. What about, you know, when the husband's dead or he's, you know, uh, physically, you know, unable to work with a sickness or a, an injury or whatever else? What about when this happens? What about if there's a divorce? What about, okay, but we're talking about normative. We're not talking about the exceptions because there's always an exception. And I wrote on this on my uh, Substack recently, churchreset.substack.com. Go subscribe. Get the articles every week. There's a little plug. Uh, I wrote an article called Shameless Get Over Yourself. Plug. Shameless plug. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I wrote an article called Get Over Yourself because every time you try and teach a biblical truth, somebody goes, well, what about there's this exception over here, so we're not going to say that anymore. And... No, we need to be able to say this is right and good, and when there's an exception, that that is unfortunate, and it is too bad that that, that option is not available to those people. And so we're not going to say it's a sin if not, but this should be the target. This should be what you aim for. This is what you should be working towards if at all possible. And I think this is one of those things. Keeper at home is not an ambiguous term. Keep house is not an ambiguous term. And it can't be filled from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. I, you know, I dropped my kids off at daycare and, and school all day. I didn't see them all day. I came home, threw some, you know, frozen dinner on the, the plate and, and threw it in the microwave. And then, you know, I got their clothes washed and got them ready for school the next day. And we put them to bed and I saw them in a three, four hour window. That is not what those verses are talking about. You cannot fit this into that. So... As I said, somebody's going to be going, well, what about Proverbs 31? And again, I'm not saying it's a sin for a woman to work outside the home other than if her conscience says that she shouldn't. And fathers, husbands, you, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, be working towards this yourself to let her stay home because statistically, I think it was 80% of women said they would if they could. I think, did we talk about this recently? Not that I'm aware of. It feels like I, I discussed this somewhere. I wrote on it somewhere. There was a Forbes study about 10 years ago that said 80% of women, if it was financially possible for them, would go home and stay home with their kids today. That was yeah. secular. That was not Christian. Imagine women. that. Go figure. And you just wonder, yeah, maybe they're wired for that. Maybe God put it in them, the desire to be around their kids. And so having said all that, somebody's going to say, what about Proverbs 31? I've got some points I took down, but I'm going to throw it to you guys. What about that? <laughs> no. Did you leave us Keep anything? rolling, no. keep rolling. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a lot of prep here. I, that, that's half my prep, okay? So I've, I've got a lot more here. I don't want to uh, take all of it, though. Go I'll, ahead. I'll, I'll go quickly, and then, Joe, hand it off to you. We've said this before. Anytime you push back or kind of go in a different direction than the way God originally designed it, you're just kind of asking for trouble. To me, and to me specifically, the trouble you're asking for here is that you are pretty significantly statistically lowering your children's chances of staying faithful. That might sound harsh. That might sound there's. I can't believe he just said that. But you look at the statistics, and that's what it is. If if you are basically shoving that duty to, as Jack said, 
four hours of the day, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., you are statistically lowering your child's chances of being faithful. And so, again, to me, this is just a simple question of go back and look at the way that God originally designed it. God designed men. Their dominion is outside the home. Their dominion is to provide for the home, to, to provide for the family, to work. The woman's, dom- the woman's realm of dominion is the home. And at this point, we've said it time and time again, if you, if you want to argue with that, you're not arguing with, with Jack. You're not arguing with me or Joe. You're arguing with Scripture. You're arguing with, with the way God originally designed it. Now, again, everybody always wants to jump to, is it a sin? Is it a sin? Well, if it's not cool, that's what I'm going to do. That's a really bad way to look at it. That's that's a really terrible approach to have. Of, okay, well, as long as it's not a sin, then I'm good. I'm covered. Again, look at it as what's going to make me and my family more Christ-like. What's going to increase our likelihood of getting to heaven as a family rather than decrease it? Joe, what do you have to add? Well, I want to get into. There's a few different things. Uh, I want to get into the Proverbs 31. I'll address that briefly. Um, she was industrious. She was efficient. She was a lot of things. Uh, the woman in Proverbs 31, a lot of things that that I think every woman, obviously, is supposed to aspire to. But and I love how Jack put it in the notes. She is not, in all caps, a modern girl boss who's sending her kids to school and daycare all day long. Not in the least. And anybody who wants to make that, oh, she's getting it done on, you know, getting it done outside the home and inside the home. And what a girl boss. That's not the question. Like that's that's not at all what's happening. She's supporting her home. She is making money on the side where she can, but she realizes her place is not in the workplace. That's her husband. She's upholding her husband who's in the gates, right? Um, He represented the family in the public places. She did not. So she understood her role, and she was getting things done at home, and you can tell she was very industrious in how she got it done at home. It's interesting. Alyssa's been at a training and honestly, it's been, it feels like it's been a week. That was just yesterday and today that she's been in a training uh, for early childhood education where she's gone a lot of the day. She came home last night and we were talking about how much of a bummer that was. Even though I was working uh, and, and we got off around the same time, we were talking about how difficult it would be to have a really solid marriage if both of us worked outside the home. Even forgetting the kids for a second, that would be disastrous for them. But just for our marriage, where we didn't get to talk to one another all day long and we had an hour after putting the kids down, maybe an hour where we had to stay up late to have that instead of, yes, I'm usually gone, but I may, I call in some and, and I get home or whatever. Most guys can get home at a regular time and the woman has kept the house and they don't have to worry about those things. I think it puts so much strain on the marriage relationship and we wonder why marriages are so so difficult these days. Maybe it's because the house chores then fall to both and, and the hierarchy and everything else gets off. So is it a sin? I'm going to come back around to this, and this is the the unpopular thing. I think it's directly contradicting Scripture. Now, you can jump to Lydia. Let's jump to the one person in Scripture that we see basically not doing this. So, yeah, you can go to Deborah and everybody else that's wildly ripping that out of context and why she even had to do that. And and JL, they always bring up JL, which is great because she's actually in her home when she kills Sisera. But let's forget that one for a second. Um, Lydia, she's selling purple fabrics. We don't know what Lydia's situation was. We know her family... Uh, was baptized along with her. What that looks like, we're not exactly sure. If her family was her parents that she's helping provide for, if she had kids, we don't know. That is an exception that we have no idea the context. It's the same thing as using Priscilla and Aquila and saying, well, Priscilla's mentioned first, therefore she did everything. That's pretty pretty big stretch here. Um, I think it's a stretch with Lydia. All I know is there's biblical precedents and mandates for women to be keepers at home. Well, I don't know. If I go against biblical precedents and mandates, I don't know if you want to call that a sin or not. Uh, it's not good. 
That's not what's supposed to happen. So define it however you want. All I know is Paul is specifically laying down this mandate and for women to look at it and go, yeah, I don't need it. There's a reason God said it. It's not because Paul is a sexist. It's not because God is patriarchal and, and you know, he is patriarchal, which is a great thing, but it's not because there's toxic masculinity involved. It's because this is the way God designed them. And if any woman took two seconds and sat in her emotions for a second, she'd realize the same thing. I, as, as Jack said, I want to be home with my kids. I'm great at nurturing. I want to take care of my husband. I want to take care of the kids because that's what's inside of you. And if that's not what's inside of you, it's probably a trauma response, to be quite honest with you, where you are directly contradicting what God wants because you think that your worth is found in something God didn't give you as your worth. Your worth is found in in having kids and keeping home. If you can't have that, I'm very sorry. If that literally can't happen, again, Lydia's situation, I don't know. I'm sorry. Truly, I, I don't, you know, but as Jack said, this is the normative thing. This is what's supposed to happen. Well, that that's why, you know, when we're saying it, it's not a sin is because there are exceptions. I mean, like if if the husband dies and she's got to put food on the table for the kids, okay, you know, but there there's even, it's interesting in 1 Timothy 5, I brought that one up. It's talking about widows and it's telling the younger ones, go get married so that you can be supported and you can keep home and keep the house and the kids and all that. And the older ones, if they're widowed, it says the church needs to take Act care of them. Act 6, we the deacons. Like, yeah, that's what they were for yeah, is to feed like, widows. Well, and I mean, just 1 Timothy 5, it's the church needs to put them on the payroll. Like your church contribution should be going to keep these women taken care of like that is how committed the church was supposed to be to this and so when when we talk about the keepers at home being something that like we're not going to talk about we're really not talking about the backup thing which is we pay for them so that they can and you know the widows don't have to go to work and all that we've lost the whole plot on all of that and so to your point you know we can't say it's a sin when it is an exception on the other hand if somebody's perfectly capable of it and and bingo if you can no i don't want it you know, like, I, well, but we need that extra vacation. You're we need to pay for the boat. To. We need right. to, you know, well, I just don't like being around my kids that much. Maybe submit to the scriptures. Maybe look at what it says here. And so uh, we made a lot of friends with that one. Uh, but you know what? That's one of well, those things. I'm not going to apologize for it because nobody's saying this and it needs to be said because the Bible says it. Like, let's just read the verses for what they mean rather than trying to say why they don't mean that. Right. And, and this is going to be the last thing before we move on. The perfect evidence for this is... How many sermons have you heard on this, number one? But number two, the sermons that do address this, what is what is always the, what are the qualifiers, right? Well, I'm not saying this, and I'm not saying that, and, and you know, this is a touchy subject, and we'll just basically, it, it doesn't get addressed is basically what, what I'm saying. You, you know, it's one of those verses we read real quickly. Yeah, we acknowledge it's controversial. We give some kind of half-hearted assessment that, yeah, women are supposed to submit, uh, and, and then... We move on is basically the, the the church's modern day approach to it, and yeah, it, it's one of those things where if you are perfectly capable of it and, and you're choosing not to for whatever reason, to me there's a problem there. But if you can, guys, you unless you have anything, Des- to add. destroy, destroy. Right. Fe- I've gone off on this. We've all gone on this before. Destroy feminism at every turn. And this is one of the best ways to do it for women to be keepers at home. And you will be looked down upon in society, and people will think that you're oh, that's all you do. That's one of the most. That's one of the best jobs in the world. That is one of the most needed jobs in the world. We are more desperate for that job now than anything. So we, you know, you may think that we're sexist for saying this. No, I believe highly in the value of the woman, in the value that she serves in the home. The man is to have his dominion outside the home, her inside the home. Destroy feminism at all costs. It's destroying the church. This is the best, in my opinion, the best way to do that. So, sorry, I had to get that one in there as well. But feminism is is a, a leech and a suck on the church. We have to destroy it and get away from that ideology. If you can, you should. Jack, get us into the next one.
This is an interesting one that I think comes up a lot, especially if you're in ministry or an elder or a deacon. You get these things all the time. So here we go. I don't have a problem uh, helping those in need, especially helping the members the members of the church family first and foremost. However, is there a point where the goodness of benevolence turns into enabling of the ones you are helping? And if so, at what point do you stop supporting them? Basically, are there biblical examples or guidance on dealing with scammers and the downtrodden, or should we just support blindly and let God deal with their motives? Um, That's a great question. That's a great question. It is a great question. And and it's one that, uh, again, if you've been in in any kind of church leadership, you deal with this. Because uh, some people might not know this. Church phones ring almost every day of the week of somebody saying, hey, can I get gas? Hey, can I get food? Hey, can I get 50 bucks? Hey, can I get $100? Hey, can I get 500 Some people are just brazen. Hey, can I get $5,000? Like, you know, there's a couple of them like, hey, can you go drive by our building and see, well, who do you think you're talking to? Like, what do you think we, we have here? What kind of You were probably the 10th on the list that day. Yeah, that's, but that, yeah, that is the other thing. And so... Uh, and we had some that we gave to and like literally came back around months later, man, thank you. That's exactly what I needed. You got me to where I was going. We had others that like, it was very clear, went down to the next church down the road and you know, like we're making the circuit and all that. And so this is a very good question, a very needed question of, do we support blindly and let God deal with it? Uh, I mean, there are scriptures, Proverbs three twenty seven of do not withhold when it's in your power to do good unto somebody. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus talks about doing good, you know, uh, and and so um, I should have pulled that verse up here. I turned away here a minute ago. But uh, with, with these things, there is a biblical principle for helping, for not being stingy with our helping and all that. But on the other hand, I don't think that means just totally be taken advantage of don't uh go ahead and just uh matthew 5 42 is the one i was looking for give to him who asks of you do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you and so there is that but that does not mean you just keep going because that that principle of enabling is really there and so i'm going to turn it over to you guys and then i'll give my thoughts more in a minute but what do you have to say do we do we just have to keep giving is there a cutoff point what is the cutoff point what's the scriptural principle for that to me, I think, first of all, you need to see the difference between are we talking about giving as an individual or are we talking about giving up the church's money, Jackie, bring up ministers and elders and things like that. Because specifically when you're talking about giving of the church's money, there is an element of you have to be good stewards of God's money. Are you just throwing the money you know that, that is not ours, it belongs to God, it was contributed to the work of the church, are you just throwing that around willy-nilly at, at whoever asked for it? That's not exactly being a good steward. And so I think the question really comes down to that that word, should we just support blindly? No, I, I don't think you should support blindly and then, uh, you know, anybody again who comes in and asks because there are people out there who truly are in need. There are valuable works to give to. And again, I, th- I think there's an element of being a good steward here that those who are responsible with distributing the money need to be need to be concerned with and need to be aware of. It should not be a blind guess of, oh, well, it's first come, first serve. Whoever comes and asks for it, sure, you get some. Uh, so that would be my take as far as the church side of it goes. For an individual, to me, that's going to be more on the conscience end of things. It's one of those, if you know you hand the guy $25 and then you watch him go down the street and buy alcohol with it, I'm not giving him $25 next time. That's just not the way I'm going to do things, but somebody else might. And so I think a lot of this is a, a, a kind of a cop-out type of answer. What's your, what, what is your heart, what does your heart indicate here? Is it one of those where I, where you're like, well, I know they're just going to go buy drugs with us. So I'm not going to give them anything. 
yeah, that's probably not the best place for your that's your heart's probably not in the best place there. If it's no, I truly do want to help them, but I don't also I also don't want to enable them. Let me figure out a way to kind of get around that as far as let me buy them food as opposed to giving them, you know, two twenty dollar bills. Think there are ways that you can do that specifically as an individual, but those are the two ways that I would break that down. Joe? No, I agree. I, that's something we did at our church is when somebody came and asked, we're not giving you money, but we will put you up in a hotel. We will give you gift cards to certain places because, yeah, we don't want it used for drugs and for things we're obviously not in support of and that are bad for them. But we did want to help as much. And we lived right down the street from a homeless camp. So you bet, I mean, we had that a lot. Um, and So, yeah, you try to help where possible, but you be smart and you be wise in how you help. On a personal front, I, I agree with you. I think there's a conscience issue of, do you feel the conscience pull? When I drive by the beggar on the side of the highway, you know, the guy that looks like he's 40 and fit and could, in my opinion, and I know people are down on their luck. This isn't to judge. I don't know where he's coming from, but I'm looking at it as, man, you look like an able-bodied individual. I'm much more likely to give to the crippled guy who I go, man, he's down on his luck. That's a personal preference on my part to say one, I think can find work or, or, you know, do something but I also don't know. That's for God to judge, not for me to judge. So it's a personal thing. Uh, there have been times where I have driven by somebody when I could have given, and I honestly felt bad about it. It's like, I probably should have given. Well, why? I don't know. It was God putting it on my heart. And one of those where it's like, okay, let's turn around and go give it to him type of thing. Um, and you don't always have to give, not just on the church front, you don't always have to give money. Give those guys some water. Give those guys gift cards themselves. Uh, so do we enable? No, I mean... Yeah, I worked with people where there was gypsies down below, and they literally would have their kids show up with them, as, and the kids, they wouldn't put them in school so they could go beg down by the Sam's Club, and they would rake in so much money because like, oh, there's kids, right? There's a there's a six-year-old, and they're just really down on their luck. No, they planned this, and they would actually go stage at like seven different locations. Um, that's why the, they get a bad reputation. Some people need it, so it's a conscience thing, in my opinion, of what you think. That probably muddies it. That doesn't help that much, but... Yeah. Well, I'll say two things. One, you talk about putting people up in a hotel and things like that. Well, we did that at a congregation I was with, and it just drags on and on and on. Like, how long? Are we, we can't afford, you know, $100 a night over and over and over. And we brought up earlier, if man does not work, neither shall he eat, Second Thessalonians 3. And so that's part of it. Uh, the other thing is Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. It does not say do not withhold money from those who ask for it. Do good to people. And that's what, you know, the Matthew one I read as well. Doing good to people does not mean giving them money. Doing good to some people means telling them, I'm not going to give you money. Like, that might be the best thing that you can do for them. The worst thing you can do for them is give them money. Like you said, alcohol or drugs or whatever. You're not doing good to them by giving them money. And so there is discernment to it, for sure. It's case by case, very much. It's, uh, as you said, church versus individual. There are a lot of considerations here. But no, the answer certainly is not you have to give every time. That's just not what those verses are saying. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and, uh, oh boy, are we down to the last one? <laughs> we got one we more. Got one I'll make more, sure guys. I didn't miss anything. <laughs> I'm going to stall more. for a minute here because. Uh... No, we got it. Yeah, we're getting right in. I'm going to read it. There are vaccinations. There are vaccinations that use aborted fetal cells in the testing process of various vaccines. COVID vaccines were put through that testing process. I believe that if I take those vaccines, then I'm taking something that is promoting abortion. I'd rather die from whatever disease the vaccine is supposed to cure than promote abortion. I was wondering your thoughts about those types of vaccines. Am I wrong for refusing to take them? Now, I can give my answer briefly, but this may be... Go for it. I don't know if anybody's familiar with 
Dr. Jay Weil. He's a Christian uh, scientist that we did in homeschooling. His great books, great books, um, creationist and, and all sorts of great science. And um, he's got a lot on vaccines on his personal blog, which I actually have pulled up. Um, it is called, hold on, um, it's called blog.drwile.com. And it just makes for some interesting reading. You don't have to agree with everything, but it gives a Christian side to it. And his contention, and, and I don't know, I'm still studying this, but it's his contention that where do they get, where do these vaccine companies get the cells from? Yes, they do get it from that. They get it from companies such as Coriel Cell Repositories and, and such. Um, and what he says is the specific cell lines that you they use in vaccines are the MRC-5 and WI-38 cell lines. And they've been using this for 45, at this point, longer than that. He said both of these cell lines were cultured from cells taken from two abortions. One was performed in September 1966, one in July 1962, and they continue to replicate. The time doesn't matter. It makes it wrong. And he says that. He says, this is, does it make it, is it immoral to use cell lines to make vaccines? It's definitely not. But is it wrong for abortion? Absolutely. But he makes an interesting point and says, look, if, if somebody was shot and you rush the guy down to the hospital to save his life and there's somebody in the next room that could use a vital organ and the guy ends up dying on the operating table, they're trying to save his life and he ends up dying, is it wrong to use that? Now, the sin of shooting him, even if he was shot for the purpose of harvesting the organ, you know, if he can save somebody else's life, it doesn't mean that it's not a sin to shoot somebody. That's horrible. It should have never happened. It's murder. That's wrong. But could you do good with it down the line? Well, that's his contention. My problem with it is, yeah, they did it for that purpose, um, you know, so that they could use it. But we're talking they did it back in 60s. They've used those all the way through. It is murder, no doubt. Abortion is always wrong. It's always murder. But they're using it for the quote-unquote betterment of things. Now, that doesn't get into COVID vaccines, which, and whether we're opposed or not, um, I think if you read Jack's blogs and, and content, which I happen to agree with, then you would know where we fall on that one. But that's... It's an interesting question, but that's kind of where I, that doesn't say where I fall on it. But yeah, I happen to agree with him some. I think he makes some valid points in that. I was just going to say the COVID vaccine is one of the things we have not touched on this podcast for, I think, very good reason. And goodness knows that discussion has been around for years now. Um, so let me just say real quick before I kind of give my answer to that. Um, if you're somebody who's listening to this kind of looking and, and ready to be offended for our take on the COVID vaccine, to me, that kind of shows the insecurity of your position and the fact that you're already so defensive about it. Um, I think there's a lot of evidence as to – I think that the COVID, vo the COVID vaccine voices are, are starting to die down quite a bit, specifically with, with all the things that are coming up about it. But the question says, am I wrong for refusing to take them? Put simply, no, you're not, not wrong for refusing to take a vaccine that you that compromises your conscience. It's it's Joe, you're exactly right. If aborted fetal cells are being used for again, the question specifically about the COVID vaccine, and I think Jack's going to get into some of the other ones. If if it's if your conscience says, look, I I don't feel as though I should support this, then no, you're not wrong for refusing to take them, despite the fact that there are a lot of Christians who tried to browbeat people Bully about the it. vaccine. Yep bully you into it and say, no, you are wrong for refusing to take it. You're, you're simply not. And again, I, those voices have quieted down quite a bit, I don't think, or I, coincidentally, I don't think coincidentally. Um, but so to, again, to answer the question, just just flatly, no, you're not wrong because, and that, that would be something that would violate my conscience as well. So the analogy of the person being shot, the difference 
between that is we don't have people celebrating, you know, gun shooting in the streets and saying this is a great thing and something they want to perpetuate and pointing to that is see good things are coming out of you know gunfight in the streets and so we need more of those like that i think that's where that analogy dies on the vine but the question of you know medicines or shots whatever that are developed from fetal lines people accurately pointed out when that objection was first raised of if you're going to do that there's a lot of things you can't take there's a lot that comes from this uh there's a lot of uh, developments a lot of medications or whatever that also used fetal lines and people knew about the covid one because that was publicized more or that was something that that was dug up and brought out more but that's something that a lot of time a lot of the vaccinations given to kids a lot of um Man, YouTube is going to shut this thing down so hard for the, the the very words we're using in the algorithm and all that. That's okay. Um, all of the things that you start researching that came from that, and it makes it very hard. And I think it's very much a meat sacrifice to idols thing. Of like, there's a reason that that you would you know have a conscience issue with that. That's that's probably a good thing. I don't have a problem with that. Um, if you know that it comes from something that you shouldn't, and, and if that information is made available to you, yeah, I, I would avoid that, you know, to the extent that you can. If you don't know and, uh, like, you're just ignorant of it, okay, you know, you're not, I, I really think it would be in that kind of category. And so... Because I don't see it as a know, blanket support of abortion, in my opinion. I mean, they used it for medical science, which is horrible. I'm not celebrating that. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's terrible that they did. There's ways they could have done it that was much better. And from my understanding, there's ways they have done it on certain vaccines and such that doesn't include that. But I do think that by you taking a vaccine that has it, I don't think you are blanket supporting abortion. I think you are benefiting from a tragedy that was murder. But uh, yeah, I could fully understand uh, from the conscience issue, I can fully understand um, why people would have a problem with this. And so, no, you're not wrong. And the COVID vaccine, you're really not wrong in taking that for multiple reasons. But, um, yeah, so I, I want to make the point clear. Like, I'm not saying, of course, we don't support abortion. I think it's do study. I would say study on this. And the person who's asked the question, I'm sure, has. For those that are listening that haven't, I very much think that's something that should be studied out personally. Yeah. Uh, again, as I say, a matter of conscience and let it be a matter of conscience you know like if if you're very convicted about that and you know well that that's a factor for me like i'm not going to deny i i was aware of that i looked into that the other things they've said yeah i i think there is some solid solid uh backing behind that argumentation but uh, again you you can't go around and say well everyone else who who went and took one is going to hell you know which some people i, I got that response when i've written on it before said some things on it and so uh, this is one of those things where we have to give ourselves grace with a lot of things over the last couple of years that we were not very good at, and a lot of it went very much one direction of not giving grace. This one might need to go the other direction of, of giving some grace. And so uh, you guys really challenged us with the questions here. Hopefully, uh, you know, any Q&A episode is going to be all over the map, but hopefully uh, the answers were beneficial Keep the, um, keep the questions coming. Yes. I, say, I mean, I don't think this will be our last Q&A episode. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these, we got the questions back in December. We stashed them because we did our Q&A episode and just ran out of time. Keep them coming. We'll put them on the next list for Q&A number three. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that sometime late spring, early summer. Um, but yeah, we, we always enjoy hearing from you guys. And so hopefully this episode is something that uh, you enjoyed, benefited you as well. Uh, anything we got to tell them about, Will? 
I don't think so. Again, think deeper seminars. If that's something you're interested in, we'd love to to talk more about that with you. Um, But no, I think that's it. All right, cool. We'll talk to you guys next week. 